host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 66, and pleased to have Sean Gilbert, the women's basketball coach at Midland University. As an old school GPAC guy, coach, I still have a hard time not saying Midland Lutheran. It is just simply Midland University, so I got to make sure I get that correct. So, uh, But before we get going with Coach Gilbert, uh, we, of course, want to thank our sponsor for our podcast, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSACChiro.com. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Also, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Also, if you're listening, you're obviously on SoundCloud or iTunes, so uh, be sure to download, rate, and review. Give us five stars so we can uh, work our way up the rankings and help out as many coaches as we can to help them hone their craft. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, give me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Gilbert, how are you this fine Sunday evening in beautiful eastern Nebraska? Yeah, well, I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I guess I didn't look at the timing very well. You're cutting me off right in the middle of a NFC playoff game, right? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I had to turn it off as well right before. I, I thought we would get this in before uh, uh, before before the game got over. I thought we I thought the game would be over before we before we started recording here. But I, I think Tampa Bay is kind of on the way to closing this thing yeah up. they uh, so. they've started to pull away it's kind of funny because you watch so much basketball a lot of people ask me hey do you, what college games do you watch and i'm like you know what i don't watch a lot of college games i watch so much film during the day that sometimes uh, the nfl or college football is a nice uh, breakaway from it yeah i uh i you know i i grew up in the in the generation of video games and stuff like that and uh i i can never really play a uh uh, as accurate as they are, as amazing as they are with the graphics and the detail and everything, I can never play a basketball game on like an Xbox or anything like that. Because um, and then the control freak in me is like, they're not doing it the way that they're coached to do it. They're supposed to be doing here. This is not what I want. Yeah, absolutely. Just like watching film. That's not what we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, hey, uh, you know that's that's why we'll, we'll go back to the Atari twenty six hundred. We'll just do Pitfall, and hopefully we can. That's right. We can jump stick over the figures. Stick figure guys running around. You bet. Were you an Atari guy, Coach? Uh, kind of. Not really. I didn't. I didn't play a ton of video games uh, growing up. But you know, through the years, and just me growing up, and then you know, my kids growing up and watching the changes over the years, it's crazy what it's come to. Yeah, I, I, we didn't get our first uh, gaming system until uh, we got the old Nintendo Entertainment System with like Duck Hunt <laughs> and Super Mario Brothers and. Uh, blowing on the cassettes and that type of thing. Yeah, that was, that was high-tech stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the technology necessary to make it work was blowing on the, on the, on the yep. cassette or whatever. So, uh, so well, that's good stuff. So I, I suppose we should probably start talking about some basketball here at some point, Sean. Absolutely, so, yes. Uh, so, you know, Sean, we've known each other for, for uh, a good number of years here, uh, you know, going back a, a long ways. Uh, but for the folks that don't know you, I always like to give – our, our coaches an opportunity to kind of introduce themselves and kind of talk about their basketball journey and, and how did you end up at uh, Midland University in Fremont, Nebraska? 
Um, well, I, I graduated from UNK. Uh, I'm not going to say when. It was a long time ago. Um, but I, I started coaching in the, at the high school ranks. And actually, when I was in school, I, I really thought I'd be uh, uh, probably more of a football coach than a basketball coach. I, I played college football and, and always enjoyed the game. And when I was student teaching, the uh, girls basketball coach at Elm Creek High School, where I was student teaching, decided, you know what, I don't want to coach this year. And so... Uh, their administration approached me uh, probably in like late September, early October and said, hey, uh, this position's open. Would you be willing to do it? And as a, you know, a young, starving college student and, uh, you know, maybe the whopping twelve hundred dollars it paid, I was like, absolutely, I would do it. And so, I, you know, I jumped in and, and coached the girls at Elm Creek. Um, and as time went on, I, I coached high school for, oh, you know, a few years there. And, and I found and I was coaching football at the same time at the high school level. Um, but I found I enjoyed the basketball. I always enjoyed playing basketball as a person, but mm -hmm. I, I was just much better at football than basketball. So, mm -hmm. um, but I, I enjoyed coaching it. Um, I had some success at the high school level um, there for a few years, and, and an opportunity came. Um, I'm originally from North Platte, and an opportunity came for me to go back to uh, Mid Plains Community College and be their women's coach. And so that's kind of how I jumped from high school to college and. Um, I coached there for a few years, and then I went to Mount Mercy University, which is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, mm -hmm. um, and, and had a program there. I took over, I think, in 99 or 2000. Um, Tony DeCecco, who was um, actually Connie Yori's yep. assistant at Creighton for a few years, he yep. he was at UNI at that time, and, and he was good friends with the AD at Mount Mercy, and that's how my name came up for that job. So they approached me about that, and I had a really nice run out there. Um, I was there seven or eight years, and we went from, you know, um, a struggling program, do a top 25 program, um, uh, really enjoyed my time there. And in that time frame, um, you know, Connie Yori and I were really good friends going back to her early trading days and, and uh, helping her with camps and those things. And she had approached me uh, about joining her staff and, you know, we we had just, I had just graduated four or five very successful seniors and, and um, you know, we're probably going into a rebuilding stage a little bit at Mount Mercy and, yeah. and I decided if I'm going to make the move, this would be the time to do it. So um, I joined Connie at Nebraska and we had um, some, we had some tough years there and we had some really good years there, um, yeah. including the 2010 um, year where we started 30 and 0, won the big 12 championship and, and were um, a number one seed. Um, and I was there for, I want to say five or six years and, you know, um, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the trout, you know, I got to see some amazing places, got to watch some amazing athletes, you know, Kelsey Griffin, Lindsey Moore, Bonnie Turner, yep. you know, Dominique Kelly. I mean, ten, there were many there when I was there. It was outstanding. Um, but a, as time went on, um, you know, my, my children were getting middle school, closing in on high school years, and, and they were both very athletic, a, a son and a daughter. And, um, you know, when, when you're at that level and you're, you're on the road and you're doing these things, you're missing some of those things. And, um, you know, I really wanted to be a part of their high school career and, and, and actually kind of wanted to get back and take what I learned from Connie and that staff, um, some great people on that staff, and, and get back to being a head coach. So when, you know, the Dave Gillespie approached me, who's the AD at Midland, about the Midland opportunity, I felt like that was a really good time for me to get back to the NAI level, which I, I've always really, really enjoyed, and it's still one of my favorite levels to be at. Yeah. Um, to take the Midland program over, I jumped at that, and it seems like yesterday, but this is my eighth season there. So, um, you know, it's, it's been, I've been, I've been in the business for 29 years and I've never regretted a day of it. Yeah. 
Well, uh, you know, you uh, have had, like you said, you've had a long-standing relationship with with Connie, and 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 she's a great gal. I I, I think that uh, she's really uh, become, you know, underrated with the with the jobs that she did both at Creighton and at Nebraska. I mean, when she took over at Nebraska, it was um, <laughs> it was the, a rebuild of rebuilds. And, yeah, I would agree. You know, and and she got that to the point where. Like you said, undefeated regular season, Big Twelve champions, uh, so forth and so on. What were uh, some real things that you took from Connie? You'd been a head coach for a while, but then you go and be an assistant for five or six years, and and then you you head into what what you you picked up with at Midland, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, what are some of the lessons that you took from Connie as as you guys worked together to rebuild the Nebraska program, and then and then took to to Midland with you there. Uh, um, I, I, th- I think her attention to detail um, and her tireless work ethic were a couple of things I took from it. You know, um, she's still uh, I've been around a lot of, you know, great coaches, um, you know, Todd Eisner and, and you know, Jamie Sale. Mm-hmm. We go back. Um, well, we went to high school together, so we go back a long way. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Oh yeah, Jamie Sale and I were North Platte. He was a year ahead of me, so so everybody knows that Jamie's up one year older than me. But yeah, <laughs> we were we were high, we had a couple of classes together, and uh, yeah, Jamie and I go back to high school. But um, you didn't thing, you didn't copy any of his homework, did you? Uh, no, I did not because you wanted to pass. <laughs> well, I, I doubt he took a, a big uh, interest in mine either. So um, yeah, Jamie, he was uh, you know you, Jamie. You know, a lot of people. Jamie was a really nice high school basketball player, and, and uh, you know, really. He, shoot yeah he could he was he was uh he was handy out there on the court but mm-hmm. um you know her, her attention to detail and still in this day like i was saying one of the best x and o coaches and adjustments and and game planning I, you know i did all the film and those things for them and you know she would say hey you know sean go dig up we played iowa state in in you know 2004 and they ran these sets so go see if you can find them i mean she dug up things that uh, most coaches would pass on um, mm-hmm. you know that attention to detail and then then her talus work ethic in preparing her teams recruiting um hiring her staff uh, those things they that she was she just never stopped and um, you know, and the things she demanded of her players, maybe a little more old school than, than, you know, some of the coaches these days, she just, she was one of those coaches that she said, I want to tell you once and you do it a hundred times. I'm not going to tell you a hundred times and you do it once. She, you know, she demanded a high level of you. And, and, you know, there were times that I can remember, you know, when you're working on a scout or you're preparing this or preparing that, that, you know, she would light you up and say, that's not what we wanted. We, it's got to be better. And, and um, but then she's also the first person to pick you up when you needed help. And I know I could call her, you know, today, tomorrow, the next day with any anything. And she'd be the first to help me. I just a truly good friend. But I, she just nothing ever got by her. Mm-hmm. Um, do you. Uh, oh, God, I had a great question. And then it slipped my mind. I forgot to write it down while I was thinking of it. Uh, well, we'll move on to this. You know, you you stepped into. um a situation at Midland where you decided you wanted to be a head coach again. Um, you stepped into a situation at Midland and, you know, a once uh, a program that was a national tournament, you know, year in, year out type of program mm-hmm. uh, many years ago with Coach Bracker, who, again, uh, women's basketball Hall of Famer, 
um, yep. a, a great influence on the game. Uh, but, you know, the program had kind of fallen upon hard times. And, and I know Coach Fritchie had come in there for a season uh, to that, that gave you a bit of a base to work with. Uh, but what were, as, as you evaluated that situation and, and you're, you're in the toughest conference in the country, um, without a doubt, um, at the old yep. NAIA D2 level, what were the things that you identified that, okay, I've done this at Mercy. I've done this at Mid Plains. I've, I've, I've worked, I've been part of the machine at Nebraska to rebuild this. What were the things that you got, that you identified that here's the two or three big components that I need to look at to get this thing going in the direction that we want it to go? Um, you know, I, I think the, the biggest thing is character. You got, you got to have, you got to have character among, you know, among your players within your team, um, integrity, uh, um, you know, if you have a couple of those things, then, then hard work, um, enthusiasm, they just come with those characteristics. And I, I was pretty fortunate, you know, there were, it wasn't like I walked into an em- empty cupboard there at, at Midland. Uh, there were some talented kids. Um, and I think Fritchie, you know, came in and then that year, he kind of got them started on the right track and the direction they needed, um, which made it made it uh, my transition a lot easier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were able to come in and, and we had some talented players. Um, you know, uh, Jamila Johnson was there and was our leading scorer and, and a pretty good player. Uh, Taylor Shepard was there. You know, the Anderson sisters were there. So it was for me, it was OK. We, we got some really good pieces in place that the character of this team's pretty good. What direction do we want to go X's and O's? And then, and then for me to come in and establish that, have the kids to buy into it. And, um, you know, I, I think we did a really good job that first year, you know, Ann Prince was my assistant. Um, and she was very helpful, um, and, and, and able to help me, you know, learn the kids, learn the tendencies. So that was nice to have somebody stick around. Um, but the kids really bought into what we were doing. They were excited about what we were doing. And, and actually, I, I, I think we ended up fifth in the league that year mm-hmm. um, and then lost to Concordia at Concordia in overtime in the first round of the GPAC conference. So, you know, the base that was there from Bracker and then the direction that Matt got them going uh, made my transition a lot easier. And then from that point on, it's like, what style do we want to run? You know, mm-hmm. I, I really felt like the G pack is a guard driven league and we got to get some guards, some bigger guards. You got to be able to score in this league. Yeah, um, and so, yeah, so, we, you know, recruiting became a big part of that year. Um, and, and, you know, you've been around it as well. It, it's hard. You know, you're not going to just sign five, six, seven, eight, nine kids that all of a sudden come in and get you in the direction you're going. You got to do it one at a time. Who's going to be one or two at a time? Who's going to be your piece? And, you know, we were fortunate that first year I signed a player out of, um, out of uh, Elkhorn South, Megan Cooks, who was just a really high character kid, a 4.0 student, pre-med. Um, and that led to Joel Overcamp. And, you know, we had some success there. And then you start getting the other pieces in. And, you know, honestly, even in my eighth year, I, f- I still feel like we're evolving and, and, and trying to keep up with the league. But, you know, that, that first year, I think just establishing yourself and making sure your character integrity and your work ethics where it needs to be um, were the vital things that we thought about. Uh, and, you know, instead, I'm a, I'm a man defense guy and, and and you know quick motion offense guys so you, you kind of establish those things but if you don't have the kids to do it um you know it makes it difficult yeah yeah so you went through you went through your in your journey uh you were a head coach for a long time um and then you were an assistant and then you're back to being a head coach uh this is kind of a two-part question 
Uh, so I'm gonna, and I'm and I, and I hate just reading questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read the first part of this here. Okay. Um, what uh, with your years with Connie as an assistant, what did you learn that you know? What should a good assistant do for their head coach? Uh, whatever they ask, right? <laughs> um. <laughs> it's not a democracy; it's a dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, you know, I I think you know as a head coach, you know, I know that you know. A lot of times I'm the last to know things and I know sometimes it's hard for players to approach head coaches or, you know, there might be some things that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they don't necessarily want to talk about, but they might talk to you as an assistant about. So I I think for me, you know, Hey Connie, what do we need to be successful? And she'd say that. And, and I think also, you know, and and players, what's that? You would ask Connie that. Yeah. Like, Hey, what what do you want? Um, What games do you want to watch? Who do you want to see? Um, in practice, what do you need? What are we going to do? Um, you know, we always, we always had a practice meeting with Connie prior. All the coaches would come in, sit down. You'd have a meeting. She'd talk about, hey, what do we need to work on? What are we going to do? And, you know, we'd always ask, what do you want? What, where, do you, where do you need us in our groups? What do you want us working on? Um, I think asking those questions, being involved in that, but also being kind of a a middle person between the head coach and the, and the players. Hey, you know, so-and-so talked to me about this. What do you want me to say to her? What is your take? Or do you want to talk to her about it? Um, you know, I, I just think being that right-hand person. And, and as I was at Nebraska for three or four years, and you know, for, when you get there, you start understanding what they want and then you just do it and you take it off their plate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just think with Connie, it was being attentive to detail and knowing that she's going to, you know, want to watch a lot of film and knowing that she's, her practices were, you know, they were on the, they, some of the sections were like six minutes and 30 seconds. There was no dead time. And, and so just having things in a transition um, and, and, and being a good listener. And then, and then, like I said, taking anything you can off their plate to help them be more successful and, and, uh, it's it, it it becomes you know more of a, a friendship relationship where you you understand them and and, and my, my goal was just to you know make life as easy as I could for Connie and take some stress off of her. Gotcha. Okay. So here's the second part of this, and and you kind of alluded to it a little bit. Obviously, over the years, you've hired numerous assistant coaches. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what should a good head coach look for? in an assistant coach uh what are the qualities when when you're looking to bring somebody in or i know you guys have like gas that you're rotating in mm-hmm. every couple of years what are some of the qualities that you're looking for and i, I and again i think you kind of touched on some of those things but um you know what's what's in the sean gilbert uh uh priority list when he's trying to find the, that assistant to come in and help out the program um, you know, I, 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 this could be hard for me to say, but as I get older, youth, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. for, for me, you know, I, I continue to get older and the recruits still stay the same age and the players stay the same age. And for somebody to stay, you know, they don't, they want to know what a 50 plus old guy has to say all the time, but they'll listen to somebody who's younger and, and more vibrant. I, I think that's important. Some youth um, for me as a male in in a female athletic world, um, I think female is important to, to, for, for me, maybe not all other coaches, but I think to have at least one female assistant is important when you're dealing with females. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I, that's always been one of my beliefs. Um, I think energy, um, excitement. I'm, more of a, a laid back um you know 
um, I don't want to say, you know, stern or demanding, but I, I don't show a lot of excitement. Like I tell our kids, if you need noise to get excited, then, then we haven't prepared you right. And, and that may be wrong. And so somebody who's younger, more excitable, you know, high fiving the kids and those things, I, I, I just think you need a balance. Um, and that's important, but also some, some playing experience, um, being around players at the college level experience. You know, I was fortunate there for a while. Lindsay Moore, who played at Nebraska when I was there, was my assistant coach. And, and that was outstanding. Uh, my assistant now, who is Cassie Stoltz, she played for Drew at, at um, Concordia. So she had been around that program. And, and no matter how successful you are at the college level as a player, if you've been around a, a successful coach like Drew Olson, you know the system, you know how they do it, you know that character and, and that culture that he develops. And so, you know, that's important too. What can they bring to the table? Um, the other thing is, I, I, as I've aged a little more, I probably loosened up in that, you know, I don't need to know everything and I don't need to control everything. You know, I try to give Cassie some, some, some responsibilities. You know, she runs all our blobs and slobs and she does some of our press stuff coming from Concordia, of course. And, and maybe I have her work on our zone defense because I know nothing about zone defense. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think responsibilities and some of those experiences are, are key, but you know, the, the biggest thing is that they have to be able to build relationships with your players. And so those players trust and believe in both you know, me and, and the staff and, yeah. and they know, well, if I go, if I go to, co- if I go to Cassie and talk to her, coach isn't going to be upset because I didn't come and approach him. I, I think they need to know that it's okay to approach either of them. And basically in my mind, look at us at the same level. Yeah. I'm going to make some decisions and I'm going to talk to you this and I'm going to run practice, but um, you know, you can take, uh, you know, Hey, Hey, Hey Cassie, I think if we ran a ball screen here, that'd be, something good and they know they can talk to her about it and I'm not going to be upset about it. I, I think that's interesting that you bring in the, the balance part of it, um, you know, balancing you out. And, you know, I, I think that is important that you, that if, if everybody thinks alike, then nobody's really thinking and, and, and to have that different personality, because even though in, 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 in your situation, you're recruiting all of your kids but it the recruitment process is obviously different than having them on campus and being around them every single day mm-hmm. and and so your your personality is is just human nature you're not going to hit it off with everybody but hopefully there's an assistant that they can hit it off with if you've got uh, a graduate assistant and, an, and another assistant yep. you know that there's somebody that they feel comfortable with and they can talk to and 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 that that part of it i think is really really important don't you think oh yeah i agree i i, I think you know in in, in the, really basketball recruiting it the whole thing is about building relationships, Marty. You you got to build a relationship with your players. You got to build a relationship with your administration. You got to build relationships with your assistant coaches. And um, you know, it is it is vital that that you know they understand what you're doing. I and and I understand what they're doing. But I'm also in a relationship. It's give and take. I have no problem. You know, I've told my players, I've told my coaches, I've been doing this so I don't have an ego anymore. I, I just want to learn and keep growing. And so when you bring something to me, it's not going to bother me. You know, mm-hmm. now you got to be okay with the answer I give you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I may say, yeah. nope, that ain't going to work. And, and it's not, but, but for some, I, I want, I want my players to feel like it's okay. And I want my assistant coaches, as you build a staff to know it's okay 
to come to me and say, Hey coach, we really got to run some zone here. Or coach, I think, I think we got to work on our press We're this rotation is not very good. And, you know, I'll give Cassie, I'll say, Hey, you watch this game and you clip this film and you tell me what you think we need to do. Um, and, and then I'll have her, I'll look at what she's clipped. But I think for them, for me to do that, then builds their confidence. And, you know, she sees things. I don't see Lindsay Moore saw things. I don't see from her playing experiences. Um, I think sometimes, you know, younger coaches and, and, and maybe this is wrong around me to say their ego gets in the way and, and they maybe miss a thing or two. And, and, uh, you just can't do that. You got, you got to be open and listen. And like I said, I can say no, if, you know, yeah. the buck stops with me, but I'd be, I'd be ignorant not to ask for advice or listen to advice from, from people who have played the game at, at a high level or in a high level program. Yeah. Yep. Uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. And, and if, and if, I always thought, and, and I was in a situation where I was an assistant for 10 years before I became a long-term head coach. I had a year of head coaching experience in the mix with all of that. Uh, but assistant coaches want to be there and they want to help. That's, that's their purpose in, in, you know, in large part in, in the vast, you know, I don't know what percentage of that it is, but I think, you know, we as head coaches don't have all of the, uh, we don't have all the answers and we need to to value those folks just like we're you know we, we value our players well we need to value our assistants and ask for their opinions and and poke and prod and what are you thinking here and and what do you what do you want to do and if you you know after the game you know when we were down five you know or whatever in this situation what would you have done if you were me yep. and and be I able to have those conversations especially with your younger coaches to get them to think about it sliding over that proverbial 18 inches to to help prepare them as well uh, no kidding you know here, here's an example we um mckenna dodd who was a great player at doan university um two, three years ago, we, when she graduated from Doan and I hated coaching against the kid cause she was just such a great player, found ways to score. Um, I hired her as my GA the moment she graduated from Doan <laughs> and I kid you not. And, yeah. and she came in and, you know, within two weeks or I shouldn't say within two weeks, as we got closer to practice, I was like, McKenna, what did you guys do at Doan here? What do you think is important? And she looked at me like, you really want to know that? I'm like, absolutely. You were a great player. Tell me what your thoughts were. Also, Tracy Fairbanks coached for, you know, a lot of years, played for a very good head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know those ideas and, and I think it caught her off guard early on that here, here I am, you know, I've been coaching 25 plus years and I'm asking somebody who is not even a month into the job, Hey, what would you do in this situation? And to me, that was, that was vital information for me. Um, I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's good to have those different perspectives and no matter, no matter how, open-minded we are as as head coaches especially as experienced head coaches we do fall into patterns we do fall into ruts we do fall into things that are comfortable for us and it takes a lot of discipline for us to turn over that apple cart every once in a while and and you kind of have to discipline yourself to make yourself uncomfortable at times and to open up those questions and to keep that mind going. Does that, does that make sense, Sean? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. You got to quit being stubborn. You know, I, I, for a lot of years, I was like, Hey, we're going to do it this way. And this is what I want to do. And this is the way we're going to coach it. And this is the way we're going to teach it. And you know, Hey, it works, it works fine for a while, but not all players and not all 
teams uh, will function the same. You know, I've gotten better over the last five or six years. Okay, what's our personnel? What's the best offense we could run to get what we want out of these kids? Mm-hmm. And if we got to change it from year to year, we will. And and I may not have been that way so much in the past. You know, being around Connie, you know, hey, we got to get Kelsey Griffin the ball here. How are we going to do that? Or Lindsey Moore, you know, those kind of kids. And, and I, I think that's important that you're flexible and look at other options based off personnel, based off past experiences. Um, you can play man defense a thousand different ways. And so mm-hmm. you need to you need to look at a thousand different options. Yeah, yeah. A thousand percent agree with you there. Um, you have recruited probably hundreds of kids. You've 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 coached oh you know well over a hundred kids that you've recruited over the years. Yeah. Um, I think being a high school coach now uh, for a long time, uh, you know, starting out as a as a college coach and then as now as a much longer term high school coach, I, I think that a lot of high school kids think they're ready to play college ball and it's going to be that you know in their mind they know well it's going to be a little bit harder and then they get there and they don't have any clue as to how much harder it is um as a college coach what are the biggest adjustments that high school players have to make uh coming to the college level and then to piggyback on that you know what can high school coaches do to help their players if they've got a kid or two or however many what can they do to help prepare their kids for the next level? Um, you know, the first and foremost, uh, the, there's a couple of things that I, I always tell recruits when I'm talking to them. And I, I think the first thing, and, and I think high school coaches would agree with this and, and most college coaches, whatever, whatever your ability is and wherever you think you fit in in high school, college, and, and whatever, in life for the most part, you got to be okay with the process. Don't don't. And if your process is that you step on campus the first day and you're a starter, fine. But if you're a JV player or you're getting eight minutes here, or ten, you got to be OK with the process. I feel like kids fight the process so much and, and they don't develop because if they step on campus and it doesn't go their way, then they then they fold up and, and they don't develop the way they want. I, you know, uh, Tom Izzo, who I, I love the way Tom Izzo goes about things. One of his quotes is, you know, I hate that kids aren't okay with the process because then they never reach the potential. Um, and, and I think that's so true. You, you can't, you got to go in open-minded and, and, and be ready for whatever comes your way and whatever success you get or don't get, don't give up on it right away. I, I think that's the mindset that I try to tell these, these kids. And I would say the other couple of things is the speed of the game is completely different. Um, I, I see where that's some of the adjustment and the level you have to defend at and the level you have to run the floor at and, you know, the offense, you know, you got to be quicker with your shot. You got to do all that. Uh, but the speed of it is is a big part of it. And then also the physicality of the game. You know, I'll tell a, a high school senior, high school junior that I'm recruiting, you're going to walk on campus as an 18-year-old freshman, and there's going to be a 22-year-old female that's been lifting weights for four years and has played in 110 GPAC games that knows every trick in the book, <laughs> and she is going to dominate you right out of the gate, and she is going to push you, grab you, hold you, and just physically dominate you, and you got to be all right with that. You're going to learn. You're going to figure it out. You cannot uh, – you can't overcome – you know, you know, our kids live three, four days a week, you know, year round. I mean, they're in a program, they're going at it. And so it's, there's a little difference between that 18 year old and that 22 year old. But yes, you, you for are me, 18 year old girl 
in your league yes. as a 22 year old woman. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 you know the G pack as well as I do, and in the D two level. But when you've played in that many games, there's a certain understanding of how things work and what you can and can't get away with, and they're going to do it. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I, that's a big adjustment. But for me, the biggest thing I tell you know, be okay with the process. Say, okay, you know what. I'm going to go in open mind. Whatever happens, happens. If I don't get where I'm, I'm I, I want to be in the first couple of weeks. Am I willing to work hard to get to it, or does it become, well, this program isn't for me, or the coach isn't giving me a, you know, the right opportunity? Um, you, you got to stick with it. it it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It, it just comes down to, in a lot of ways, it's just a desire to overcome the difficulties along the way, and. Yep. When when I was, you know, coaching college ball, and we were really really good, uh, but we would have all staters that would flake out in a month because it was yep. really hard, and and, <laughs> and, and and we had we had kids that were, um, you know, nice players for really really good teams that just understood the the grind and they understood mm-hmm. uh, the day the day in day out grind that you need to have to compete at the collegiate level. So. Um, what's your advice for, for, you know, the vast majority of our coaches that listen to this is, is, uh, high school coaches. Yeah. Uh, what's your advice to high school coaches to help prepare their kids for the next level? If they have players that are, are, uh, looking to go there. Um, you know, I, 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 I think just a skill level, um, you know, try not to be too one dimensional. you know, I mean, at our level, we work on ball handling, for five minutes to start every practice um you know the ball handling is so vital at the college level you as a guard especially you've got to be able to handle the ball um ball skills are important um you know um defending at a high level whether you play man or zone you can still defend at a high level and 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 be confident in what you do um you know the thing that i tell you know when we go I, i would tell high school coaches when we go um you know watch a player the first thing we do is, is, is watch the player's body language, you know, tell your players to be involved in the game, be, be okay with getting beat in, in the, in the respect that don't give up just cause you're down 15 or 20, continue to play the game. Um, you know, I, I want a tough, uh, kid whose motor's always running and, 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 and plays no matter what the scores is up 20, down 20 sitting on the bench are they cheering you know those things those high character activities are are so you know vital just you know i will take a player who whose motor runs she hustles um she does some things she's a high character kid she's outstanding in the classroom because i know that kid will develop because she'll work hard at the college level she she has it in her you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah nothing Um, nothing drives me nuts more more crazy than watching uh, a really talented player that doesn't work hard on the defensive end. That's that's one of my uh, mm-hmm. that's one of my like that kid's not going to make it. I don't think yep. because they just don't bust it on the defensive end. And I, I think a lot of talented high school players can get by on athleticism and Agreed. just being more physically uh, developed than the kids that they're playing against. Uh, they don't realize how just just how intense a two minute stretch of a college basketball game is to play in. Yep, and, I agree and on both ends, and and that's yep. always a big red flag for me when I see a kid that doesn't work hard on the defensive end. 
That's yep. my, I'm like, I, God, that, that's not a good sign. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta defend. You gotta rebound the basketball. You gotta run between the free throw lines. Um, you know, a skill set is important. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but um, but if if you play hard and, and, and the game is that important to you, no matter what the score is or what the situation is, then I know when you get to our level and we can spend time, you're gonna work hard on the development, um, mm-hmm. and, and you're gonna get better. Like I, there's a lot of kids I recruit who I feel like are really. Um, they're good basketball players, but their motor's running that'll fend. I'll tell them, you haven't played your best basketball yet if you'll continue with this attitude. Um, I, you know, I think that's important. I think those things, uh, you know, Connie, uh, Connie Ori told me one time, um, when you're recruiting a player, you're going to watch them or you're watching them on film or they've sent you stuff. So in your mind, you know they're, they're probably a decent basketball player. They want to play at the college level. So when you sit down and watch them, um, pick two things you don't like about them. And ask yourself the questions, can you change it or can you live with it for the next four years? And if the answer is no to those, then you need to get up and walk out of the gym Mm -hmm. because that's not going to change. And so um, we, we, you know, I I believe that Cassie knows when we go in, first thing she watches is body language and effort. um, Mm -hmm. And will they defend at a high level? Uh, Those are things you got to have in in our league, even though it's a scoring league. If you don't play defense, you're going to give up 120 points every day. Yeah. Um, And so uh, those things are important. Um, But I, I, you know, I I just like kids whose whose motor run, you know, we Mm -hmm. always say, well, she never gets out of second gear, never gets out of third. And, you know, that's one of the first comments that when we talk as coaches, does her motor run? Yep, Mm -hmm. it does. Okay, then we got to put her high on the list. How's her facial expressions and her body language? Um, They're good coach. All right, then let's let's start talking to her. Fair to say that most college coaches are going to take between skill level, and I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I'm going to say most most coaches are going to take the kid with the motor over the kid with the skill level because they can teach the kids the skill, but it's harder to teach them the motor. Absolutely. Um, that motor's tough, you know. It's like if you buy an old four-cylinder car and you're putting it up against, uh, you know, a hot rod eight-cylinder with a blower on the top, that you, you, the four-cylinder is never going to win that game. So, yeah. um, you know, the motor – it, it's it's hard, you know it's just hard to change that I, I mean every now and then you might see it a kid who maybe was like you say a really good player in high school who didn't have to give that effort when they get to college they like oh geez I, I really have it and they have that gear but um, it, it's you can't coach that gear necessarily mm-hmm. um, you know they have to have it yeah was that a hot rod example of you and coach sale drag racing and yeah North down Platte? the one ways at north Platte. yeah, yeah. that's right by the old uh a&w right <laughs> there you go hey oh a&w the yeah. frosty mug taste yes yes that is that now we're really you're 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 yeah. itching me where i scratch there coach that's a, so he's gonna he's gonna uh, that comes up a lot and every time it comes up the only thing i make sure the comment ends was yeah he was a year he was a senior when i was a junior so <laughs> yeah i uh my my hometown uh we had an a and w and man that was that that frosty mug with the a and w root yeah that's right the old floats and freezes doesn't you know, get any better than that yeah that's, you, could, you could barely lift that mug that was real glass man that thing was heavy oh that was that was there, there, there were there were german brew makers that would come in and say that's a hell of a stein right there yeah that's right yeah so all right coach well hey we're uh we're gonna we're gonna switch lanes here a little bit but before we do uh we want to talk about teachhoops.com and and to have that opportunity to have a hands-on mentor to help coaches hone their craft 
if you are, look no further than teachhoops.com, a place where coaches go to get better. Coach Steve Collins shares his three decades of coaching knowledge with his subscribers through resources like podcasts, one-on-one mentoring sessions, and much more with teachhoops.com. Go to teachhoops.com backslash A-P-A-A-N. That's, of course, the initials for a pen and a napkin, where subscriptions start at $34.99 a month. When you sign up, you get a 14-day free trial. So combine teachhoops.com with a pen and a napkin to help you make the best make you the best coach that you can be so coach uh at this time we we throw in our don meyer quote of the day the goat don meyer um and uh feel free to comment comment on this if you would like uh the don meyer quote of the day is players must know what you want them to do in pressure situations i i would agree with that um i you know we we work on late game situations. We work on our set plays. Um, you know, we'll even do it where we have them scramble around and, the, and they, you know, they're running offense for like 10 seconds and then they got to throw it to the coach and the coach will throw it to some random player and they have 10 seconds to get it where they need to get and get the, the, the play set up. Um, you know, you have to have some things that you can go to, uh, you know, at our level late in the shot clock, but also in those last two or three possessions. Um, and, and they have to understand um, that pressure. Um, one thing that we talk to our players about a lot is, you know, you don't rise to the occasion under pressure. You lower yourself to the level that you've competed at in practice. Um, and the higher that lower level is, the better you compete. You can't just all of a sudden, you know, late in the game with 10 seconds left, rise to the occasion if you've never practiced it. So, you know, I, I think it's important your players know and they understand what you're trying to do, you know, even in the last two minutes of game where you're trying to run a little clock and then get to a set play. Were you in my gym like a week and a half ago? Did you have a bugging equipment in there? Because we <laughs> talked about that exact same thing all last week uh, about, uh, you know, right, you know, the old Navy SEALs thing. You, you, you don't... You don't rise to the occasion. You, yep. you, you know, you, you uh, the lower, you know, you go to the, your level of training. And yep. so, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to take out a restraining order here on your show. Yeah, I might. I'm, 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 I'm sneaking around there. You know, we had a, <laughs> a situation uh, just last week. We played Jamestown. Um, we're up three with, you know, a little under two minutes. And I, I called a timeout because I felt like it was a huge possession for us. Um, we ran a little uh, ball screen to a high-low look that we ran. And, kids executed it well and we dumped it in post player scored and it went up five with you know a minute 30 to go and, and that was a difference maker yeah it was one set one possession but it's something we've done over and over and, and put ourselves in that possession in that mm-hmm. position and had we not practiced that or it, they knew it wasn't vital at that point then then you're right you're 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 not going to compete or, or execute at the level you need to unless you're put in that situation yeah and and that is you know it is. It is just so darn. And especially now that we're getting into January, and and your your drills and and your habits should now. That's what they exactly should be. You shouldn't need to spend ten minutes on this passing drill. By now, you should get through this this passing drill in two or three minutes, and that frees yep. up six or seven or eight minutes to work on a special situation here and there, and the and the progression of your season as you go through it uh, to make sure that you are ready for those and and your yep. priorities shift as the season moves along. Yeah, I'd agree. Our, you know, our practices at this point are an hour and 15, hour and a half at the most. It, it, we don't need to our practices at this time. If our kids don't know what we're doing by now, I've done a poor job of preparing them. And, mm-hmm. and I know that, you know, for our players, our, our practices um, are pretty monotonous and they're probably 
they're the same thing every day. You know, we warm up, we do some rips, we do some shots, and then we get into transition, working our, uh, you know, our transition game. Uh, we'll work a little defense on what we may face, and then we do what we call ODO, which is an offense, defense, offense, possession, started with something. And it is the same every day because that's what we do, and that's what we need to be good at. Coach, you listed something on here and I, when I was – doing the the, the heavy-duty background research on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that we I – don't, I don't know, in, in 65 and a half podcasts, we've talked about this topic. So I'm, a, I'm excited to uh, to talk to you about this. Um, and, and nobody really got a chance to do this last summer because of COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. But you were um, essentially responsible for running uh, Coach Yori's basketball camps – at Nebraska, mm-hmm. and you were the you were the lead guy. You did all that stuff, yep. and, and and I know you've probably ran a zillion camps over the years, but I don't think we've ever talked about keys to organizing a really good basketball camp uh, to make it profitable, to make it be a fundraiser for your program, uh, to make it uh, fun for the kids, to to help the kids get better, to to have the kids to create a, a camp where the kids want to come back and they're excited to come back the next summer. Um, mm-hmm. So let's let's jump in the weeds on this right away because, like I said, I don't think we've ever talked about this. And so, uh, running running different camps at different levels. What are what are some things that you've done over the years to help uh, put together good basketball camps? Um, well, yeah, I, I think you know camps have changed so much, uh, you know, through the years. Uh, you know, when when I first started helping camps uh, with with Connie at, when she was at Creighton at that point. You know, we ran a, a, a shooting camp and then we ran um, a team camp and we ran what we called advanced skills camp, which was basically there, you know, at that point. And, and uh, you know, I don't know the rules as if they're the same or not in the NCAA, but that was where you invited your recruits mm-hmm. to come to the camp and 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 whatnot. But, you know, the, the shooting, I, I think, you know, first off, your camps, you got you got to have relationships with high school coaches and and, you know. You, you've got to reach out to them and get those people there. In this day and age, there are so many camps to choose from. The high school players are so busy. You know, the the tournaments and the, and the college showcases and the things that go on have really kind of taken away from the camps to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's hard to get the numbers that we used to get back then. Um, but if you have relationships with, with, with coaches and you can get their players there and, and you have a good, you know, depending on your community, um, I think those relationships are important to building camps. And then like you say, the camp has to be enjoyable. It just can't be a monotonous, you know, uh, three day March where you're just drilling them this and drilling them that, you know, we would do a lot of, you know, with Connie's camps, we do a lot of footwork stuff, but then we played games and, and then we'd go back in the shooting camps. I can remember this going to date me a little bit too. I, you know, one year at Creighton, uh, that was the first year that Iowa had gone away from six on six and was playing five on five for oh, the first time full court. The day that so our, still. Yeah. And, and, and our shooting camp had, 500 kids in it because there were all these Iowa kids <laughs> who had never shot a basketball in their life that, you know, they, they played defense yeah. all the time mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, it was fun, but the shooting Connie's shooting camp had, you know, 
footwork and and fun stuff in it. I think you got to teach some skills. You got to have some fun. Um, I also think that you know the staff you hire is important. Um, at the higher levels, it's maybe a little easier because you know you have your players helping in that situation. And so, hey, who doesn't want to come to a camp with Kelsey Griffin and and you know Lindsey Moore and those kids? Um, but. It, it, you know, then the team camp, the team camp is more is, is again about relationships. Say if I call you, hey, you can bring your high school team to our camp. And if you have a good, yeah, sure, coach, I'll, I'll, I'll bring some kids down. Um, at Midland, we, we run what we a summer league where it's not a team camp, but it's like a five week summer league where the high school teams bring their their teams to Midland. And, and we play games every Monday night and, and have a tournament at the end of the year. And they really, really enjoy that. And that that we get more success out of the team stuff than we have the individual stuff lately but mm-hmm. it's got to be organized you got to have a good fun staff you got to do some fun stuff you know when I, I at Lincoln you know they always had an afternoon in the pool um you, you, you got to do some things beside basketball so those hey I want to come back to this camp um I, I think that's important but they, they've changed so much with you know their man's on especially your 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 sophomores juniors and seniors when they're going you know I, I don't know how they do it I mean these uh, these kids are they're all over the country playing basketball um, in Ames and in Washington DC and Texas and it's it's crazy these days yeah yeah and and the you and I are old enough to remember when it was a big deal to get such and such recruit at your camp uh, oh absolutely that, that, that showed that they were really interested where now yes. it's more it's the it's the college coach's job to go watch their AAU program play in the summertime and that's where the interest is created and i'd agree that that's one that that's even the difference in in the in a little bit of the mentality of the player it used to be oh man I, i hope i get invited to you know midlands advanced skills camp and now it's like Hey, are you going to come watch me play at Ames? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. it's, it, it's just the dynamics of camps have changed a lot, and and I think you know your 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 D1 teams, you know, the, the Creightons and the and the Nebraskas, um, they still get their numbers at camps, but the smaller schools like the Midlands and and you're, you you've gone more to almost the elementary, you know, the the second through sixth graders, yeah. and and then running and and running the little kids camps, which are which are fun. Um, and then, then, like I said, we've gone to a, a, a summer league to get those teams on our camp because the it's hard. You know, one of the reasons you want to have a, a team camp or a summer league is to get players on your campus that you're maybe recruiting. Well, even in a team camp situation, say you bring your team to my camp, but your top two players are playing with, you know, Nebraska Attack in Ames and they're not coming anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, the camp game is, it's a lot different, especially for the smaller schools. It's Mm -hmm. the individual camps are almost non-existent. And and like I said, if if we're doing stuff, it's with the little kids, which is great. Um, They have a blast, but you know, it used to be more of a recruiting tool than it is today. Yeah. So what are some things that you do with those younger kids to help develop skill work and skill level? But also, like you said, uh, they have an enjoyable time. They have a good experience. Uh, you know, just, just throwing some ideas out there with those, with those youngsters that maybe, you know, are like, you know, in in a program like mine or any high school program that, you know, a lot of these programs have their camps in the summertime. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what are some change-ups? What are some things that you guys do besides drill work and, and all the things that we love to do as coaching nerds, uh, to, to make those situations, uh, positive for the, for the kids? 
Um, you know, we, we, like you say, we do a lot of really basic stuff, a lot of simple ball handling, a lot of one-two steps, a lot of, you know, shots. I think one thing that the kids really like, you know, at our, at our facility, we can lower the hoops um, automatically as low as we want them. And, and, the, and just little shooting games and drills just so they have success putting the ball through the hoop. You know, so many times they're, they're faced with a 10-foot hoop, they can't even get it there. And, and um, to lower the hoops and, and to play some games with them, them there. And, and we do a lot of relays and, and tag games where you're involving basketball skills, but they don't necessarily think about the basketball skills because they're more interested in the tag game or or you know like a dribble tag game for example mm-hmm. or a relay i just want to i want to compete in the relay but he says i got to dribble this basketball back and forth or make <laughs> a basket down there and 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 even though you know you're incorporating some basketball skills in it that they're seeing it as a, a blast in playing playing a certain game and i i, I don't want to use the word trick but you're you're getting them to develop skills yeah doing something else um and it's a blast for them you know they they just want to have fun they want to run and and, you know lord their parents just want you to burn off all that energy so we're (laughs) we're we're killing two birds with one stone there but i think i think you gotta you know you you gotta incorporate some things that you're doing that they look at it as you know not all basketball stuff but yet it is basketball stuff Mm -hmm. um and, and like i said we're still doing you know simple jump stop one two footwork um, simple shooting drills, you know, you know, the elbow in elbow, you know, toe, knee, elbow, wrist and ball. And, and we do those things, but we break away from it, but about every 10 or 15 minutes and incorporate something fun, but it's also develop, you know, working on those skills that we just discussed. Um, you got to keep those camps moving. You got to keep them exciting or, or it, it, they, they just, they start to doze off and glaze over after about 15, 20 minutes of instruction. So yeah, um, we, we try to in, incorporate the, you know, the games that, that still involve some skills. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You, you, uh, you'll lose them, uh, in a a 20 minute breakdown of the triangle offense or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I lose my players after 10 or 15 minutes if we don't change something. So I don't know how a youngster is going to handle it. Uh, (laughs) Mine are usually bored in about 30 seconds, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, let's talk a little ball handling. You talked about, uh, you know, you, you talked about, uh, skill development and what you guys emphasize and, uh, you know, the, the importance of ball handling, uh, maybe, you know, if you could, Sean, go through your, uh, you talked about a five minute routine that you guys do at the beginning of practice every day and, and just the, the emphasis that you put on, uh, making that basketball, the extension of the player, that type of stuff. So, uh, go ahead and, 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 and dive into that for us, if you would. Um, we, we do, we do a, a variety of ball handling stuff. Um, we do a lot of two ball stuff where each player has two balls. Um, you know, we'll, we'll put five minutes on the clock and they do, they have a partner and it's 30 on for a partner. And then the next person's 30 and then back to that, um, you know, first part, two ball dribble, one high, one low in and out, all kinds of different movements with the ball. Um, we do a lot of like, say you have, to, you have a figure eight, but you have to keep one ball in front and the other one figure eight. So you're, your mind has to think about how I'm going to keep that ball out there and how am I going to move this ball around Or We do what we call taps a lot where you tap a ball in front of you and you do a crossover and a, and a, and a through the leg dribble and then tap the ball again before the dribble stops. Anything that incorporates two different, you have two different balls and each ball is doing a different movement. So you can't focus on just that one movement all the time. Your mind has to be changing and, and that we feel like that forces you to, 
you know, you have to develop ball handling skills to keep both balls moving versus just focus. If you stand there and do a crossover dribble with one ball in one position for 15 minutes, you're going to get pretty good at that. But is that a true thing where when you're dribbling down the floor at full speed, can you do it without really thinking about it? So we want our kids to think about other things uh, while they're dribbling. We, we do, you know, we've in the, we've used tennis balls where they're dribbling in, in front of ball and they got to throw the ball, uh, the tennis ball off the wall, catch it while they're dribbling the basketball. Um, they'll have um, partners where each person has a ball and they double cross over and throw it with one hand and catch it with one hand with the partners at the same time. Um, so they got to work on timing and getting it back. And then we'll do some movement stuff with, two basketballs so they angle back and forth across the ball going through the leg and each time you step it's a different you know the different hand the different ball um anything that incorporates them into having to to think about more than one thing at a time so that they just get more natural at it um you know we do a lot what we call pound dribbles where you pound and then cross over and pound so it's it's it just it, it just it's, it's as much mental as it is probably physical when we do those things so that, mm-hmm. that the ball becomes more comfortable for us. Um, and we move through that pretty fast. And, you know, there's times I'll ask them, are you just going through the motions or are you working on being a better ball handler? Are you getting faster at the skills? Because if you're not, you're not doing it right. And so, you know, we try to challenge our players a little bit. In, in, and it's, part, it's the first thing we do before we even stretch or shoot a shot is that's kind of our warm up process is, is working with the ball. And, um, you know, you ball handling is such an underrated skill at any level. Even the post players have to handle the ball. If, if they want to put it on the floor, when the double comes, can they handle it? You know, they might not be going behind their back or through their legs, but mm-hmm. the skill is still essential to being successful in, in, and they're in a high traffic area. So they, they've got to be pretty good at it. And then, you know, we work when, when we do, I think I mentioned earlier, we do rips where we put our back to the basket and we reverse pivot and rip. And we work on pushing the ball out with that first dribble, getting used to, you know, getting the ball. So many people dribble with the ball right beside their feet and, and you're not getting anywhere. So we put a, we put emphasis on, you know, those things, getting accustomed to doing that, doing the, the ball handling skill while you're doing some other things. Yeah. We, uh, you know, again, I, I feel like I'm going to have to check my gym uh, because we, we have a drill and I think, you know, we've had 35 ish practices and I think 30 of those 35s, the first thing we've done is this series of rip movements. We call it Nova Rips. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just catch and rip, catch and rip, find the rim, yep. find the rim the entire time. Yep. Uh, you can't score unless you find the rim. Uh, yep. I mean, if you can, without finding the rim, we're going to be really good. Uh, but yes. Most players are not going to uh, be able to score without finding the rim. So I'm right with you there on those on those yep. rips I mean, and squaring up and, and just – we, you know, the phrase we kind of settled in on with the kids, play off two feet, play off yep. two feet, play off balance, play on balance here, play off of two feet, rip the ball through and, and keep the game simple. Well, we, I'll be honest, we, on Friday, I, I know this for a fact, because I, I, we, we, when we went through practice, um, it was our 68th practice. Um, we started with ball handling and then we stretch and then we go to, Two hard dribbles, jump stop, reverse pivot, throw it back to the next person in the line and close out. Now, that's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. You know, working on jump stops, reverse forward pivots, and a simple closeout. And we do that, I'll bet, 90% of our practices start with ball handling stretch um, and then 
pivot closeout, um, and then our rips. You, you you have to be. I still, even though we work on a lot, I still get on our players about driving and a jump stop. Simplest skill in basketball, and yet it, it just it's so underutilized. Yes, yeah, and 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 just coming in. And like I said, you know, we it's it's the same concept. It's just different terminology. Again, playing off two feet, playing off balance, yep. and making that simple play once you get into traffic, and and just those decision making things. And it just comes down to those fundamental things that are that are just their yep. habits. Their habits that you just have to pound on, pound on, pound on. Yep, we've talked about our kids with you know, um, you know, we run the the Creighton men's offense, and and to watch them how they catch, stop, they're on both feet, they're on balance. Another great team that has done it um, in the past few years is Jay Wright's teams at Villanova. Yeah. They are so good at jump stopping, ball faking, jab step, and then go somewhere to create offense. Um, you know, those teams that do that, it's it's no. I try to tell them it's. You see these teams, and they're very successful. Villanova won a national title. Creighton's ranked in the top ten. But yet they are doing basic elementary fundamentals every time they catch the basketball. Yeah. I uh, I went, my, my wife and I, I don't know if you remember this game or not, Sean. Uh, it was about five or six years ago um, when Creighton was like eighth or ninth in the country. They were undefeated. It was Justin Patton and Mo Watson and those guys. Yes. And they were playing Villanova, who was number one in the country, electric atmosphere. And so we got there really early and I'm you know, my wife is doing that and I'm basketball nerding out here. And I'm like, <laughs> I wanna watch I wanna watch Villanova warm up. So we got there plenty early. And it was just jump stops, square yep. ups. Um and, and just you know, we talked about uh, a few minutes ago about uh, simple drills that you do with second through sixth graders at, yep. at basketball camps. That's exactly what they were doing in their yep. pregame warm-up as I, I think they went on to win the national championship that year. Um, and, and I was just like, wow, that is yep. – it was an awesome lesson for me that, you know, you don't have to have all of these YouTube – crazy drills with with foam pads and and pitchforks and and and, yep. and and all these different you know throwing yoga balls at guys while they're trying to finish man they yep. weren't doing any of that stuff it was just all jump stops playing off two feet ripping the basketball squaring up working on making layups that's all they worked on and and that was yep. that was a real eye-opener for me well, and, and if you if you watch Jay Wright's teams, especially in those years where he won the title, and, and I think the years around that they were maybe final four teams at, 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 as well, you know, people, well, well, their offense is so good. Well, their offense is very simple. Yes, All they're is. doing is jump stopping, their ball fake jab step, and 90% of defenders bite on anything on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And then they go by, draw help, and kick it. I mm-hmm. mean, that, that that is the simple stuff that you run when you're young, but – some some you, you get so far removed from that sometimes that you know you forget the fundamentals you forget the basic that a jab step and a ball fake will do way more than for you than you know like I say my players stop being James Harden at the top of the floor and dribbling 32 <laughs> times you know jabs that ball fake put it on the floor once and shoot a pull-up jumper it's you know our kids I I, I get on you know Clay Thompson was one is one of my favorite players and yeah. I, they never lived it down the night he scored like 60 points on eight dribbles. I was like, that is, that is what you got to do. Um, you know, I, it, it's so fundamental. It's so simple. And it, and, and it's, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to teach 
and and even I, you know, sometimes you you almost get watching it, and then halfway through a game, I'll I'll be looking at film of us playing. I'm like, wow, we didn't even jump step there, and I'll go back, and I'm like, well, we didn't do it all game. What were we doing? And so, even I I have to pull myself back and say, wow, we got to get back to some fundamentals here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one last thing I want to talk about with you here, uh, Coach. Uh, or at least I want to make sure we get this in. And I and I like I told you before we got going. I like to talk about this with when I have college coaches on uh, because you guys just have more time than us to really analyze the game. Uh, unfortunately, when I go back to school on Tuesday, I have to talk about the Spanish American War for four periods. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, not that I'm disappointed with discussing the Spanish American War. It's it's an interesting topic, but. Um, but uh, statistical analysis and, and the analytics, um, as it's grown, what are some of the areas that you look at? And, and you guys have more, you know, more resources than than the typical high school coach does. You know, ours is much better than what it was even three or five years ago. Uh, but what are you looking at as you're uh, analyzing your team in, when it comes to the analytics and the key stats that you're looking at? Uh, at a halftime or going into a game, uh, what are you identifying? Hey, how do we match up with with Morningside or Concordia in category X? Uh, that type of stuff. Just what's your what's your take on the analytics of basketball, and what do you emphasize with your kids? Um, I would say the biggest thing we talk about is is extra extra opportunities we give the other team. Um, basically, we, we relate that to offensive rebounds and turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like in our loss to Briarcliff, um, we gave them like thirty three extra opportunities. We had we gave up fourteen offensive rebounds. We turned the ball over thirty or nineteen times. So, in my mind, if we do a better job and limit that. Um, then we, then no matter what level we play defensively, they don't have as many opportunities to score with the basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, extra opportunities are, are so vital, especially in a league where, you know, most of the teams like to press. Um, it's a fast game. Uh, do you value the basketball? Do you rebound? You know, I used to, I used to look more at overall rebounding stats, but they can be a little misleading. And, you know, if I shoot 80 shots and you shoot 60, um, you should have more rebounds than me because I probably missed more than you did um, yeah. if you're doing a good job rebounding. But those offensive rebounds and turnovers are vital. Um, and then, you know, we look at shooting percentage um, a little bit in that how many shots did we put up? You know, we want to put up – we want to shoot at 70 times a game if we can. And and based on that was our shooting percentage. And if we didn't shoot at 70, 70 times – and how many times did we get to the free throw line? Are we attacking the basket? Um, if you look at those two things, then uh, those those areas, you 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 get a pretty good idea of how your team's functioning. You know, if you're taking care of the ball, you're not giving up offensive rebounds, and you're getting opportunities to score. Um, and and if you're not, then you know, like the other day, we won. We went to the free throw line 31 times, so our our shots were down. So we kind of analyzed those things. Um, you know, when we look at the other teams, uh, I'm. I'm more, I will look at a few things. I'm more of um, uh, a personnel, like what are some of this player's tendencies? Because I I don't know about you, but if I gave my kids 10 sets to remember, once the ball's live, they're not going to remember more than two of them probably. Sure. Um, 
and so we, we, but they will remember, Hey, I, I remember right. Coach said number five likes to go to her right all the time. Yeah. Um, so we can jump on that hand or, or, you know, we're, you know, when, when I was around Todd Eisner while he was at uh, Midland, he, he's a, he's a real system defender, meaning, you know, for us, we switch everything one through four. Um, we make a decision on ball screens. Are we going to hedge them or are we going to hang back when they're post to guard? So our kids have a pretty good idea of no matter what they run at us, this is what we're doing. We're switching guard to guard. This is what our post defense is going to be. Um, we discuss, are we going to double the post? Are we not? Um, and so, you know, the tendencies of teams are not as important as maybe what the tendencies of a player are, are for us. So our kids like to know the player tendencies as much as anything. How, how do you, uh, how do you describe that to your kids? Uh, or, you know, how do you go over that? What's your, what's your process with that? Is it a lot of film study with your kids or is it, you know, Hey, uh, number 10, number 12 and number 24 are, are shooters for Briarcliff. Or, you know, what do you guys do with that? Or is it a little combination of everything? You know, or, um, it, yeah, it, it's probably more. No, it's all right. It's, it's probably more of a little bit of combination. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, say for our game Wednesday, now we don't play that we have a bye Wednesday, but typically on Monday, say we're going to play Morningside and we know we're going to hedge ball screens and we're, we're going to push everything to the right side of the floor, keep it out of the middle floor. Then a lot of our defensive drills, like we do a lot of three on three half side or four on four half side where we limit them on a side of the floor. But if we're going to hedge ball screens, then on Monday and Tuesday, that's all we do. So our kids, any any ball screen today in practice, you're hedging it, and we're rotating this way. We talk about it, and we go through the drill, and then when we do five-on-five five stuff, our kid, that's what they have to do. And then say we play Wednesday, now on Thursday, say we're going to play Briarcliff, and we're not going to hedge, and we're only going to switch one through three. We feel like they're four players of this match, and so our four player. So then for those two days, so then we're going to we're gonna run three and three half side or four and four half side, and that's all we work on. So that our kids kind of know, and they've done it um, for two days, so they have a good understanding. We'll say, hey, and, and we will talk about numbers now. Like when we were in Nebraska, we, it was a benefit because Connie had, we had men practice players, and we had to set them up for what they were doing. But Connie, every team we played, we had practice gear for that team, and they had the numbers. Say we're going to play Oklahoma, and they had red practice gear, and they had the Oklahoma numbers. So that kid, number 10, who goes left all the time, was on the floor, and our players could see that. Now, we don't have that luxury, but, you know, we'll talk say, about it. Isn't your budget as, as big as it is <laughs> yeah, in Nebraska, no, I wish it was in our budget, but, um, <laughs> you know, we'll say here, so-and-so is this player, and so-and-so is that player, and you, you got to jump on that. Um, you know, we try to do it the best we can um but but so much like coach eisner would say and and even to a certain degree connie you you gotta be true to the rules that you are even if this player goes right all the time you know we switch everything and we try to force everything outside and up and so no matter what even if it's in a right hand and that's our strong hand your goal is still to force them out and up um we we stay really true to our rules Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's something. When I was a younger head coach, I'd be like, "Well, this is what this gal does, so let's work on this for two days, and because we have to take that away or whatever it may be." And now I've kind of gone, definitely gone way the other direction, where I'm just like, "Okay, what do we do? What's our yes. five, six, seven basic rules, and then how do we adapt it to the best of our ability to this team's 
strengths and weaknesses. And, yep. and I've kind of totally gone, like I said, 180 degrees differently in that regard. And I, you know, it's, it's working, you know, our kid, if I feel like our kids are picking up on it faster. As, well, as I, I think it's, I think it's easier, especially like, like, and I don't know what your game schedule is, but our game schedule, once you get in the G pack, it's a grind and it is over and over. And, um, if you, if you don't have some basic rules, you're, I think your kids are just going to get overwhelmed if you're, you know, they go, okay, well, let's see, was that last week or this week when we were hedging ball screens or, you know, who was going right, who was going left. And, you know, we start our shell drill every time with some situation like we'll swing it around enter to the post and we got a double from the bottom and then when it comes out of the post we're live mm-hmm. um just so our kids get used to that motion and that movement and then we try to stay pretty true if you're the bottom kid and we're doubling from the weak side you go um just to make it a little easier in that we've done it now for 25 games so it, it's more sec- it's not like something we had to start on monday yeah yeah exactly exactly Awesome stuff, Coach Gilbert. Awesome stuff. Um, any social media you want to plug, Coach? Um, you know, just we have our women's basketball, uh, Midland women's basketball Twitter account. I'm on Twitter a lot. I try to be, you know, I'm not overly technical savvy, but I know in this day and age with recruits and, and whatnot that that's always good. Um, you know, I I would just say, you know, for people get on our, our uh, you know, Midland Athletic website, if you want to check us out, all our games are online. You can watch them all. Um, you know, I think there's some, some exciting stuff going on, and, and you get to see some really good games in the G-Pack. So, yeah. um, you know, you can check us out anytime. But our website's probably the easiest place to go, um, just Midland Athletics, and, 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 and see what goes on. But, you know, especially right now, it's difficult – you know, for me to get out and watch high school games with the limited crowds and, and, and for players to come and watch us. So, you know, the online stuff has been, and high schools have done a really good job. I'll give them credit this year um, of getting those games on there. It's, it's just, you know, I don't like it, but that's the way it's got to go. So you can watch us play anytime you want. Hey, and you guys do have a terrific website at your school. They, you, whoever your yes. webmasters are, or, or whatever uh, they do, yep. they do a heck of a job. I, I will. It is outstanding. Yes, yeah. all of our all of our social media and all of our our, our uh, you know the the website and all that is it's awesome. Jeff Braun does all that and his crew, and they do a great job. Yeah, it is. It is really well done. So, well, Coach, I again can't thank you enough for coming on here tonight. Hope you had a good time. I did. I appreciate you having us on. Anytime I can uh, come on and talk about the things that uh, you know you learned through the years, and if it helps any, I'm, I'm more than happy to help and would do it anytime. Awesome, awesome. We'll hold the line here just a second as we wrap up. Uh, again, Sean Gilbert, head head women's basketball coach at Midland University in Fremont, Nebraska. Again, I got Midland University instead of Midland Lutheran yes. College. Yes, so, uh, it's funny because I'll still go to like a somewhere, uh, you know, not a conference school, but a non-conference, and it'll be Midland Lutheran. I'm like, oh boy, you're looking at the wrong stuff because it's, <laughs> it's been a number of years since it's been that. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, uh, the, the, the branding department at Midland is probably not going to be happy about that either. No, no, they wouldn't. Then the wrong logos and the wrong colors. So, got to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Midland University, uh, Sean Gilbert, again the women's basketball coach, does a heck of a job uh, right in the mix in the G Pack this year. And again, it's the it's the best conference in the country. And if if you get a chance, if you're a women's basketball fan, it is a great great league to keep track of. So, yes. uh, again, we want to thank our 
our sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic, for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, if you're in need of any chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Again, teachhoops.com. Uh, if you're looking for a mentor, uh, Coach Steve Collins does a great job. Uh, sub- subscribe there, teachhoops.com backslash A-P-A-A-N. And again, it's a 14-day free, uh, free trial, so give it a go. If you don't like it, you, you can walk away after 14 days. So uh, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, review the podcast. And again, any comments, suggestions, ideas, uh, any of that stuff, email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Again, I want to thank Sean Gilbert for coming on the podcast tonight. Coaches. Let's stay safe, let's pray for peace, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.